Hello, so I'll be reading the Bible. Um, There's two verses tonight. There's one from Mark and Romans. Uh, It's on page seven. Uh, So from Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in in Isaiah, the prophet. I will send send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And the second reading is from Romans. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, it's great to see you. My name's Rowan, I'm the assistant minister here. I haven't met you. Uh, Love to chat to you afterwards. I'm gonna spend the next 25 minutes or so Uh, looking at this passage in Mark and Romans, but predominantly thinking about the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's a bit more uh, focused on the doctrine as well as a regular diet of unpacking a passage. So I hope it's an encouragement to you, as Justin introduced it as Trinity Sunday, uh, where we celebrate that our God is one God in three persons. And it's a helpful thing to think through as you consider this, to ask yourself, how would you answer the question, what is God like? Uh, Tom Wright, who is a historian and theologian in uh, the UK, universities in England, they have theological departments and and colleges, and often uh, the students, if they came to the college, would go see the chaplain. He was a chaplain at this particular college. 
And he speaks about when students used to come into the college, they would, would sit down to meet him, they'd all have an appointment with him, and usually he would ask them something along the lines of, do you believe in God? He would ask them this question, and, and often they would say no and, and give their reasons. Uh, and he'd, he'd press them a bit harder. Well, the God you don't believe in, describe him to me. And as they would give their answers, often it was a God who was solitary, who had nothing better do, to do than make people's lives miserable, all power, no personality, indifferent to the plights of human beings. And so he would reply, great, I don't believe in that God either. Let me tell you about the Christian God, because the Christian God is a different God, because the way that the Bible answers the question of who is God is, in 1 John, God is love. And I wonder how you would answer that question if people to ask you what God is like. How would you respond? The Apostle John, as we said, says God is love. Notice John doesn't say that God is loving. No, rather he is love. It's part of his very being. And we'll today see that God is love primarily because God is Trinity. God is love because God is Trinity. So if you stay open with me on page nine, you'll see an outline there. We're going to follow three questions. What is the Trinity? Where is it in the Bible and why it matters? And we'll be looking at the two passages, two pages before, on pages seven and eight. Follow along with me, if you can. What is the Trinity? Well, it's not a math problem or a conundrum devised to solve. Rather, it's an answer to a basic question. The basic question is, who is God? Who is God? And the Bible speaks of a God who is both one and at the same time, three persons. In Matthew 28, the one name of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. But if you read your Bibles, you'll notice that the word Trinity doesn't appear there. Uh, but the theology behind it does. The theology, one God in three persons, is there. And Trinity is a word used to describe that Theology, try three persons, unity, one God. Try unity, one God in three persons. And as we begin to think about it, the doctrine of the Trinity, it's going to be helpful for us to just to have a few working statements so that then we can grapple with it a bit more. So we could summarise what the Bible says about the Trinity in the following statements. There is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. And the Father the Son and the Spirit are differentiated in that the Father is not the Son or the Spirit, nor is the Son the Spirit. Now, if you're feeling a little confused, if you turn to page two, there's a diagram. It's an ancient diagram. It's called the Trinity Shield, and it explains that in a diagram form. And it's helpful because what it does is it affirms those three things, that there is one God, and the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Yet there are three persons. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. I hope that kind of works sense, because it's really important that we kind of hold that into our head, because if it's holding these things together that we end up with our doctrine of the Trinity, and we'll see why that is important. Father, Son, and Spirit as three persons, one God. The Athanasian Creed, uh, which is a creed that's sometimes used in prayer services, but if we were to say it tonight, we'd be here to about 8 p.m. 
Uh, it puts it like this, shortly. It's, it's a lovely little turn of phrase. It says, now this is the Catholic faith, and by Catholic it means a historic universal faith of the church, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. One God, three persons. So as we look at that, just notice two things. Firstly, there's singularity. There is one God. Let's elaborate on that a bit more. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's an affirmation that God is one. There is one true and living God. And as we go to the New Testament, actually, we see that affirmed. Jesus quotes these very words. But also in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says this, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then as we read the New Testament, we see that each of the three persons of the Trinity are referred to as God. That is, they share the same essence. Think Godness. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They share the same Godness. They also share the same divine name. We call them God or the Godhead. In Matthew 11.25, Jesus refers to his Father as, as Lord. Yet we read in John 28 that that Thomas calls Jesus my Lord and my God. And then in Acts 5, Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as, as the Lord. They share the one divine name, Lord God. They are one God. And they share the same divine attributes or characteristics. They share the same Godness. So that means that when we speak of God and when we speak of God's power, his wisdom, his holiness, his love, his glory. We're speaking about the three persons of the Trinity as one God. And they share the same outward work that is in creating and sustaining and saving creation. Our God is, is one. So we've got to hold that key to our understanding of who our God is. Our God is one God. Yet as we've got from our working kind of definition, there is distinction in the persons. And when you hear persons, think particular individual, distinct from others. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit are differentiated. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit, nor is the Son the Spirit. And each has distinct roles. The Father sends the Son and Spirit, the Son is the only one that becomes incarnate, and the Father and the Son send the Spirit. Each work in harmony in creation and salvation. The persons are not three gods, but dwell in community together. Now, we've got to hold these together. Now, I know I'm just kind of hitting you with a whole bunch of stuff there. One God in three persons. And we see something of the life of God in the Gospels. Uh, there's a beautiful picture in John 17 where we see something of the life within God himself. In John 17, Jesus speaks of his father's love for him. He speaks of his father's love for him. His father has always loved him. It says in John 17, from before the foundation of the world, his father loved him. And in one sense, this gives us a glimpse into that inner life of God forever as God is in himself, has been the Father loving the Son in the Spirit. From all eternity, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
has existed in love. As we heard before, part of God's identity is that we say God is love. Now, this is, this is important because if you think about it, if you go right back, think about the beginning, before atoms, before forces, before ideas, there is God. Before anything existed, there is God. And God is love. It's a wonderful picture. There was a personal God. There was love. And so as we think about the Trinity, we need to keep these thoughts together at the same time. There is one God, and there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we hold those thoughts together, we can't go too wrong. If you stress one or you stress the three, that's when, as in history, it starts to go a bit awry. But as we think about it, it's hard to comprehend, and that's because God is other than us. The Trinity is unique. There's no other triunity that can be an analogy to understand our God as triune. Isaiah says it right in chapter 40. He says, To whom will you liken God? What likeness can you compare him with? No triunity analogy will do. The Trinity is, is a mystery that we can only describe in part. It's not simple, but it's sure and true. And worship, rather than full and complete comprehension, is our appropriate response. So what is a trinity? The trinity is one God in three persons. Where is this doctrine then found in the Bible? Well, God was the trinity before showing it. God was the trinity before showing it. So as you read your Old Testament, you might notice that the three persons of the trinity aren't necessarily mentioned. You, you might see some reference to the spirit, um, there's figures which seem to allude to the Lord Jesus, but they're not there in their, in their full, clear, revealed form. The Father is, but that doesn't mean that they didn't exist before that point. The Trinity existed before showing it. The Old Testament has been described this way by one 19th century uh, theologian. He says, the Old Testament is a well-furnished room, dimly lit, a well-furnished room, dimly lit. All the pieces were there, but it was dimly lit. That means that present in the Old Testament, all the hints and foreshadowings of the three persons of God, but there are no clear statements that the one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's only as Christ comes that that full revelation, the kind of lights-on moment, becomes clear. The full revelation, the lights on moment, comes with the Son and the Spirit when they come down for our salvation. And so the reason we know that God is one God in three persons is because the Father sent his Son and his Holy Spirit in the work of salvation for us. But are there passages where we can see the three persons of the Trinity? Well, we're looking at two briefly tonight. First is in Mark's Gospel, if you look at it, in chapter 1. Uh, Mark is a historical account of the life of Jesus. And 
its beginning is significant. It starts with these words in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So right at the beginning is this expectation of good news. That word was laden for the first hearers of Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah was laden for readers then because they were expecting someone who would come and save and redeem God's people and the Son of God. And then in verse 2, Mark quotes Isaiah 40 and some other Bible references to try and bring some clarity into what this new thing is. See, Isaiah 40 is a prophecy written hundreds of years before, looking forward to a new work that God was going to do. The word gospel actually appears in Isaiah 40. God is, is promising in Isaiah 40 to come and deliver his people. Uh, the history of Israel was one in which they were a people enslaved in Egypt, and God, through the Exodus, this great act of salvation, redeemed them from the bondage of slavery. The people then were unfaithful and they were in exile and then there were these promises around the time of the prophets of, of a, new, uh, a new work of God, a new Messiah who would come and like the Exodus, redeem God's people from the bondage of slavery. And so this promise in, in Isaiah 40 is this promise of someone who is coming to redeem a people. And in Isaiah 40, that, that someone is described as the Lord. He will lead them out of slavery and into the freedom of being God's people. And so there is a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. For Isaiah, this is a picture of God himself coming to redeem his people. And what's interesting in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, is that Mark quotes his prophecy to signify Jesus coming. He is this Lord that is going to come. And in doing so, what he does is he kind of connects the Old Testament with the New Testament. But more than that, what he does is he demonstrates that Jesus is this Messiah. He is the Lord himself who is coming to redeem his people. Who is the one crying in the wilderness? Well, if we read on, we read that it's John the Baptist. So what surprise is the one that's being revealed? Who does he prepare the way for? Well, it's Jesus. So he is the Lord himself who is coming to redeem his people. So what we see here is that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also God. The one true God is coming back to bring a new exodus. So here we read about one God, but a distinction in persons. We read about Jesus, we read about the Spirit, we read about the Father. And then we see a picture, don't we? A voice comes from heaven. You are my Son, in whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And the dialogue partners are here are the Father speaking to his Son and the Spirit anointing him in the picture of the dove. It is one God, the Father, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. One God in three persons, yet they're distinguished. We see it all on display there. So God's Trinitarian glory is revealed in this section of, of the Bible. But the beauty of it particularly is that it's not just that that's revealed here, God's Trinitarian glory. It actually shows us a picture of the gospel itself. See, the Trinity is a picture of the outworking of the gospel itself. 
We see the one God in three persons breaking into history of salvation. And just bear with me here. So if if you're zoning out, come back in. See, Jesus comes down... And more than that in this, in this section, he, he enters the waters of baptism with humanity. Now, baptism is a symbol of washing. It's a symbol of dying to self and being raised to new life. People who were baptised were those who felt unworthy, who wanted to demonstrate that through repentance I don't, I don't know if you've ever felt that. You know, if, you, if, you, if you get dirty, if you do a, a kind of day's labour doing something, that feeling of having that shower afterwards and, and cleaning off. And baptism is a kind of a, you know, when you feel dirty on the inside, it's that, that feeling of mess. You long for cleansing to be made new. And that's a kind of picture what we get here because Jesus enters the waters in order to identify us Identify with us in, in our mess. So the perfect son enters the waters to identify with us and to meet us in our mess so that, just as the father declares his verdict upon his son, those who trust in Jesus will have that verdict declared on them as well. What does the father announce to his son? You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then the Spirit descends upon the Son to empower him to fulfill the salvation ministry through the wilderness temptations, through his death and resurrection. But it's a foreshadowing of the work that he will complete for us. Where we too, because of Jesus, can be included into God's family. So Jesus enters into our mess so that we can be united with him in his death and resurrection and be included to participate in his life, in his family, to be called his sons and daughters, to hear the verdict from the Father as our own, that you are my sons and daughters whom I love. With you I am well pleased because of the Son, the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful picture in an early form of the gospel on display. So do we see, we see, we see the Trinity gloriously on display, but we see the gospel on display in this moment as well. And it's beautifully pictured in Romans 8, our second reading, in a different way. The Apostle Paul says this. Just look at verses 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children... Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Remember, the gospel is a picture of the Trinity itself, the work of the three, bringing us into fellowship with our triune God. They all work harmoniously. Think of of a symphony. It's a gathering of, of... of a number of sounds and instruments brought together in harmony in just the right way, fittingly put together. And the gospel, in a sense, is a harmonious work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in salvation. The picture we get here in Romans is that, that the Spirit indwells us and it testifies that we are adopted through the Son, through the work of our Lord Jesus, so that we can become children of God, sons of God 
and daughters of the Father. So in these two passages we see the glory of the Trinity displayed, one God in three persons, but also in the Gospel itself. We see Father, Son and Spirit working harmoniously to restore us to the one God. It's a beautiful picture that we need to keep hold of. So as we move on to think about it, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. It's not, sure, it's not simple, but it's sure and true. And it, it should uh, bring from us a response of, of worship. We should be in awe of this God. That is, in one sense, the right response uh, to today's sermon. But I think as we reflect just to close on a few things, there's many things we can draw about why it matters. We take many lines here, but I've gone for three. Uh, Firstly, the the Trinity matters for creation, and we hinted at this before. If you think about creation, creation stories, the ancient creation stories are usually that of warring parties and gods that go outside themselves to create the universe, and it was a kind of creation account fueled by chaos. There's some creation stories, and yet then in the, in the West, we have our own creation stories, as it were. Most assume that in the beginning was just mere matter and some kind of force. And as a result, our world has struggled to name the source of, of meaning in our experience. I recognise that that oversimplifies it a lot, but just think of how the Christian story is different from that. See, the Bible tells us if we go all the way back, before atoms, before forces, before ideas, there was a triune God. Before anything existed, there was one God in three persons, a personal God. There was love. Love is, as it were, at the center of the universe. All that is is not then a result of of a clashing of powers and chaos, Or is it kind of cold, indifferent forces at play? But love. Love is at the centre of it. And if we're honest sometimes, that that would make sense of our experience and longings. But that God is Trinity means also that God didn't create out of some sense of, of lack or need or loneliness. Fred Sanders, one theologian, says that before... All things, he existed perfectly in the happy land of the Trinity. So creation itself is is not an overflow of need, it's an overflow of love. Out of his love, God created. And that's why we can say with the writer of Genesis that, that, that things are good. And we can see that in creation, even though that they're broken. At the center of our universe is a God who is love, and that shapes the way we think about all things. Particularly, it shapes the way, the second point, we think about relationships. This matters to relationships. See, we worship a God who is in constant, eternal relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. We use the term community a lot. It's kicked around in our culture without us being able to necessarily identify its source But here, in the Christian story, we see that God's eternal nature is seen 
in one God, three persons, in communion and interpersonal community, right at the beginning. God is love. The three persons of God share the same essence, Godness. They inhabit the same one divine being. And God in himself from eternity has lived in perfect mutual love relationship, a relationship of delight. And so as we think about ourselves as his image bearers, there's a beautiful picture. God created humanity not out of need but of love. We remember that. And love exists because God exists as love. And we as his image bearers too are called to exist in mutual love relationships. It's a wonderful picture of the dignity that we are bestowed as his image bearers as those who exist for mutual love relationships where there is delight and love going outward to one another. And the Trinity matters because of that. And finally, the Trinity matters for our, our witness. See, if you look back over history, you can see that humanity often has failed to, to integrate the communal or the diversity uh, with, with the individual, the one. The three and the one have kind of clashed so, for instance, uh, we, we tend to either um, push for uniformity or we universalise things. So you can, you can see this in, in totalitarian regimes. I remember driving through um, uh, Poland uh, up, up and, and just seeing the kind of Soviet blocks and what, what you saw was, was uniformity and, and, and the ideology there behind it was one which stressed uniformity and squashed individual freedoms. But it's interesting too because I think Christianity is distinctive because other religions, particularly something like Islam, tends to emphasise uniformity of language, of culture and, and expression without allowing much variance for diversity. Or if you even think about us in, in the West, the globalisation of, of a global, uh, global culture... Anywhere you go in the world, you'll find a McDonald's, most likely. I was very thankful to find a McDonald's in Japan because my kids actually ate something then. But you see that there's this kind of stress towards uniformity and, and the kind of way it squashes the diversity in the individual. But on the other hand, sometimes we stress diversity, don't we? So in the West, individualised self is king. Diversity of opinion, belief and background without any attempting to see things with any kind of unity. We're only answerable to ourselves. And when we live in a world where everyone looks after themselves and sits on their own rights to express that, well, you can see that the result is going to be fragmentation. So we don't do well at either integrating the communal and the individual. We either stress uniformity or... We stress the diversity. But in Christianity, what we see is, in our understanding of God as three in one, it allows for both of these things, diversity and unity. If God exists in three persons who all share the same essence, then it is possible to hope that God's creation might exhibit this stunning reality as well. And where will this reality be put on display most powerfully? Well, it's in the church. For his people... In our benediction tonight, we'll be speaking from uh, Revelation, and it speaks about one people from every tribe, language, and nation united in the Lord Jesus. 
Amidst our diversity is something so countercultural and beautifully put on display in the gospel. We come from various different backgrounds, various different ages. If people were to come in, they should be kind of confused as to what would unite such people to have such warm affection for one another. And the answer is the one God. We're united in the Lord Jesus. So in our witness, the body of Christ is a place that celebrates our God who is both one and three. It celebrates diversity by honouring the various members. But we do so because we're united in our one saviour, the Lord Jesus. There are just some thoughts to, to consider as, as, as we close. Well, what is God like? Who is God? Remember the, the creed. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. The Trinity is a mystery that we will only be able to describe in part. And worship rather than full comprehension is our right response. Let me pray as we close. I'm going to pray from uh, a Puritan prayer from the Valley of Vision on the Trinity. Please join with me. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit, we adore Thee as one being, one essence, one God in three persons for bringing sinners to Thy knowledge and to Thy kingdom. O Father, Thou hast loved us and sent Jesus to redeem us. O Jesus, Thou hast loved us and assumed our nature, shed Thine own blood to wash away our sins, wrought righteousness to cover our unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, Thou hast loved me and entered into our hearts, implanted there eternal life, revealed to us the glories of Jesus, three persons and one God, we bless and praise Thee for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. Amen.